Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Most people, they have dreams, they have ideas, but they don't really have the courage to take action or they don't have a a strong enough vision for why they should do this. We're comfortable in our W-2 job. Oh yeah, I can do this for the rest of my life. They know there's a little bit more, but it's not the the pain, if you will, is not strong enough to go out there to take action by themselves. So they need to see that bigger vision. They need to get that commitment. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest, he's been on a couple times before, but it was over a thousand shows ago. It's hard to believe. Uh, His name is Jens Nelson. He immigrated from Denmark in 1996, and after a 25-year career in the IT IT business or industry, he transitioned into a role as a full-time multifamily investor and high-performance coach. Jens is a general partner in over 1,600 apartment units and has coached over 50 clients to find success in their personal and professional life. So Jens and I talked probably half of the show uh, about some of the coaching stuff and how he left a 25-year career why, uh, and then and some key things that happened to help him to get to where he's at now and leaving that career. It's such a big decision. Oftentimes I see people, they finally, they think they want that, right? They can see that they want to move into a different business of their own, but then all of a sudden they might have the opportunity and they don't take the step. They don't take that leap because it, it seems surreal, right? And they're too afraid of giving up that, what they think is security in that J-O-B. So he did it though. Uh, and he talks about that, even how he approached his boss, uh, which I thought was a really unique situation and maybe a great way for you to approach your boss when you're looking at doing this. But we also go into his his role as an asset manager, uh, and he has become very good at that and lays out some specific things around having a plan and metrics and communication with PM, property management. I mean, different things that are crucial in that role that you need to know about. I know you're going to learn a lot today. Ian's welcome back to the show. It's so interesting. We were just looking at when you were on before. It's been over a thousand shows ago. Uh, and so I know a lot has changed in that amount of time for you and your business has grown and you're you're helping others grow their business as well now in many ways. But there's some specific things that you are an expert in that we want to dive in on today. Uh, give the listeners maybe a little bit about an update, maybe over the last you know thousand days or so. You know, what's happening with Yen's maybe a little bit of background, but let's jump in. Yeah, thanks, Whitney. So awesome to see you again. Again, yeah, I mean, a thousand shows, that's that's a lot of work, a lot of days. Yeah, since we spoke, I think it was in 2019, I was on, I have left my W-2 job. I'm a full-time investor and high-performance coach. You know, I've actually moved. I was in Colorado when we last spoke. Now I'm in New Mexico, you know, so I had a 25-year IT career that I left last year. And it's been amazing to grow from a few properties, you know, six, seven years ago to now having syndicated, I think, 1,700 units over 
over the last three or four years. So that's been a tremendous amount of growth. I mean, I just, I can't even believe all the changes that happen and where we're at, right? It's been amazing. Super excited to be back on the call. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and congratulations on leaving the, the day job and focusing on this and the growth, right? That you've had experienced. Just take a minute, speak to like leaving a 25-year career to go do real estate, right? Like, was that a big deal for you? Or was it just like, as fast as I can get out of there? You know, I've, I've spent 25 years doing this. Should I really leave? How'd you make that decision? Speak to that a little bit. I, I get that all the time. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I had a plan when I started investing in real estate, I had like a five-year plan. Actually, initially it was a 10-year plan. And I scaled it back to five years, but I wasn't really fully committing to it because I had a lot of, you know, fear and uncertainty about leaving. But then COVID hit. So two years ago, like we all are aware, COVID COVID hit. We all got sent home. And I was like, man, what do I need to do here? So I really, really what changed for me, right? I actually hired a coach to get me on track, to really get me to commit to what I, I wanted to do. So I knew I needed to make some change. I knew I needed to get out of my W-2 job. And he helped me kind of get that clarity, that vision of where to go. So through that process, and through hopefully, you know, the relationship I had with my boss, I was like, hey, you know, my business is growing. I want to get out of it. What kind of arrangement can we come up with? And we actually came up with a, like a six-month transitioning period. So I went to part-time in the summer of 2020, you know, and spent that six months just transitioning out, training everybody to replace me and all that while I was building my real estate, my coaching on the side. So that really helped a lot. I was so blessed my boss had that understanding to do that. I was going to say, most people may not even approach their boss to say something like that for fear of just being fired right there, you know? Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, and he's been... Of my investors for a long time. So he knew what was going on. So he was totally behind it. That was a blessing for me. Yeah. So, you know, it's a six month period just to slowly transitioning out of it. And towards the end, I was like, man, I wish I had gotten out of it earlier because, you know, once you start having some more time to put into your business, this grows much quicker than you can imagine. You know, I mean, and I still use those skills. I didn't check them at the door when I left. Those skills that I learned for all those years still come in extremely handy in my business. Are you glad you did it? I have no regrets. Congratulations again. And speak to, you, know, you said you had a 10-year plan, but you didn't commit. And maybe there were some limiting beliefs around that, how fast you could make it happen and some of those things. You know, after you said, you know what, we're going to scale, or what made you commit and scale it back to five years? Yeah. So initially I didn't even know anything about syndications and other things. I thought I had to save my own money and invest in my own account, right? So I was like, okay, in 10 years, I can probably save enough to get to that point. Then I started learning about syndications, other people's money partnering with people. It's like, oh, wait, there's a whole other world out. Once I discovered that, I saw that this was a business, not just, hey, I'll invest passively aside. When I turned it into a business, I saw that I could ramp it up much quicker through the active income, through the syndications and the passive income through growing the portfolio. So that was basically the the way to scale there much quicker. Why did you hire a coach? Hey, there's so many things that we could talk about there. And But however, so many people are hesitant, right, to hire that first coach. And you know, why did you do that then? Or why did you feel that that was a, a good investment? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, can be a significant uh, investment to do that. But I, like many other people, had all this fear and uncertainty during the beginning of COVID. It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen here, right? Are our properties going to fail because people can't pay rent? What's going to happen in my life and stuff? And I realized I had two options. I could hide in a corner and live in fear, or I could face my fears, my challenges head on and get some clarity, get some direction, get some guidance. I was like, man, I got to move forward here. I can't slow down. I can't stop. And I had worked with this individual in some group sessions. So I knew what he could provide. And I was like, one-on-one -on -one coaching is going to help me. 
it was life changing. It's probably the best investment I've ever made. Had I not done that, all kinds of things, bad things probably have had happened to me, you know, and it turned into positive outcomes. Speak to, was that coach, you know, real estate specific coaching? Was it more like personal development or a little both? I was just trying to figure out like, where did that help you the most? This coach's expertise or specialty, how you leaned on that? Yeah. So he is a high performance coach. So basically it's, you know, it's mindset, it's personal development, it's, you know, life coaching. He's not a real estate expert by any means. I can probably figure out the technical aspects myself. It's the mindset and the courage to take action. He just helped me get clarity and not only in real estate, figuring out I had made some promises to my wife about moving to a different state. And I was just pushing that in front of me. I had just all these changes that I thought I needed to do, I needed to do. I didn't commit to. So he helped me get clarity around all these things and improve my relationships and just, you know, become a high performer in all aspects of my life versus just in one area. It's amazing to me how, like, and most of us, and we've heard it so many times, you know, the mindset, the taking action, those things. However, many of us just still don't do it, right? And we, or we don't have any accountability, you know, like you're talking about. And so those things, uh, they don't just magically happen, <laughs> you know, without putting some, some fire to us sometimes or under our feet, right? Or, or somebody that says, hey, have you done this? You know, or what about this? Or, or you know, did you, did you do what we talked about last week or the month before? Or, you know, uh, it's so helpful. And I, I could not agree more. And I speak too quickly to, uh, and and because uh, I want to get to some asset management stuff, because that is, you know, something you are very good at as well. But speak to like some of your clients now. I know you're doing a lot of high performance coaching now. What's some of their biggest holdups and what's happening that they're coming for coaching and what's the biggest thing that they need? Yeah. So to step back for a minute. So after I, you know, I saw how much this helped me, I decided to, you know, become a coach myself, right? So I went through the certification and became a certified high performance coach. And it's been that for about two years now. And I've worked with lots and lots of clients. And I think most people, they have dreams, they have ideas, but they don't really have the courage to take action or they don't have a, a strong enough vision for why they should do this. We're comfortable in our W-2 job. Oh yeah, I can do this for the rest of my life. They know there's a little bit more, but it's not the the pain, if you will, is not strong enough to go out there to take action by themselves. So they need to see that bigger vision. They need to get that commitment. They need to really see, oh, if I do this work, I can create something amazing. So once we develop that clarity and that vision, then people start taking action because they get so drawn towards that. So I think too often we don't spend enough time developing a vision for our future for the next three, five, 10 years. Once that's in place, then action starts happening. Of course, then we got to overcome you know, the limiting beliefs and the hesitations we have for taking action. But that's where that really comes much quicker after you have developed a clear vision of where you need to go in your life. How long should we spend on developing that vision? And then, you know, how quickly is that vision going to change, right? Or, you know, I mean, you got to write something down, right? You got to be heading heading somewhere or you're headed nowhere. How long should we spend on that? How accurate, uh, you know, how much uh, does it need to be just how much should we belabor on, you know, getting that as good as possible for this vision? Uh, and then how often do you see it changing and how fast? Yeah, I mean, we definitely need to spend, you know, some time, you know, it could be a few hours or several weeks where we kind of look at it. But we need to focus on, because let me step back and a lot of people, they just look at goals. Hey, I want, you know, a million dollars a year in passive income or whatever it is. That's just a goal. But without a reason behind that goal, it becomes meaningless. So that's why the vision is about, you know, who do we want to be as a person? How do we 
want to give back? What are the relationships we want to have? How do we want to develop? You know, I know you have a very strong vision around all the work that you do and charity and so forth, right? So once we develop all those things, then that pulls us forward. And typically what I do with a client, we spend a couple of sessions working on it. They're working on it at home. We come back and they get it, you know, written out. And then they, you know, we re- revisit it every six to 12 months, make sure it's still intact. It's still powerful enough to pull you forward. Right? And, and, you know, it changes. I mean, it changes because we can't see the future. We can just have a, an, an idea. So we just need to at least once a year for sure, look it over and, and revisit our vision. So revisiting the, the vision annually, right? And, and then you mentioned something else, uh, making sure it's powerful enough to pull them in. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I just wanted to highlight that, but I mean, yeah, that's great. And I, I just feel like that's so helpful. And, and if a listener hasn't done those things, like, well, there you go. Like take some action and go think about that, right? Like write it down uh, and, and write something down today and, you know, improve it tomorrow and pre- work on it, you know, for a week or two and have that that plan, right? Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, you get a map out, figure out where you're going to go if you're, when you're driving or, or you use Google Maps, I guess, and it kind of tells you. But, but it, you know, in this case, you still have to put in the destination, right? You still have to put in the destination before it can even tell you where you need to go. I don't know why we, we don't think about that enough with where we want to be, right? Three to five years from now. Now let's jump into another uh, expertise that you have and, and it's asset management. And this is such a, an important piece, you know, right? I mean, to operating the deals and know they're, they're performing and all these things. But we recently hired a full-time asset manager who's doing just amazing um, because as we grew, I mean, it was hard to write, I mean, to keep doing the asset management for all the deals and then look for more deals and, and you know, things you'll start noticing. Oh, you know, you forgot about this thing or didn't follow up on this thing over here. Well, eventually it's like, okay, we got to have somebody that's just committed to that. And so, you know, speak to the asset management role a little bit uh, and let's jump into some challenges and tips and things that you've learned. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we listen to podcasts and read books, everybody talks about getting that first deal and closing your syndication or whatever that is. And that, that's exciting. And, you know, that's challenging to get to that. But what most people don't realize, you know, maybe that takes you two or three months from LOI to closing the property. What most people don't necessarily think about is like, wait, we got five years behind that, that we need to manage this asset against our business plan to meet our investors' returns and everything else. And that's tedious. I mean, there's no questions asked, right? I mean, that's a tedious process because it's basically, you know, it's it's project management. And given my 25-year IT career, I've done so many mil- multi-million dollar projects where we updated computer systems and all those things, right? And there's nothing really different. You set a goal, you figure out what are the tasks that you need to do in order to, to get to that goal. And I think that's that's what we forget is like, we just need to figure out what's that project plan to get there. You know, we, like anybody else, we kind of struggle initially trying to figure that out, right? And it was like, okay, we then step back and said, okay, what are the metrics we need to meet on a, a weekly or monthly basis, right? What is our occupancy? What is our turn rate? What is our delinquencies? What are net profits or net operating income? All those things that we need to meet. We started putting those scorecards or those KPIs in place and started managing against that. And so we would meet, we'll meet or our meeting with our property managers weekly or biweekly, depending on the, the stage of that project, and then just manage against those metrics. That's really what it's all about. And if things are off, we'll figure out what's that issue. How do we resolve that issue and then, then go into it, right? I think that's really what it's all about, having a clear plan and then managing against that plan. Yes, you know, again, now we have, we're struggling with supply chain issues and labor and all those things, but those are the things that I think everybody 
everybody has a, a challenge with at this at this moment in time. Could you give an example of a plan? Uh, you know that maybe you all have on a project. You know, is that plan include I mean a specific number of renovations in amount of time or specific jobs being done, a task, or maybe uh, you know vacancy numbers dropping or like like I give somebody a little guidance on even creating the plan around good asset management of a project that maybe they are going into and just use an example maybe that you've you've done or type of value add type deal. Yeah. So most of the deals we do are value adds. So really what we try to look at, we say, okay, you know, we've got a hundred units we need to renovate. What can we realistically do? Is this a one year or two year, three year plan? And we look, so as part of the underwriting, we look at that and said, okay, maybe we can do three units a month. And you know, also that, that will take us, you know, maybe two and a half years to get a hundred units, uh, something like that. And then we break it down. We look at the rent roll and we say, okay, based upon the current rent roll, Every month, here are the leases that expire. So this month, we can terminate that lease. That month, we can terminate this lease. And then we just plan it out so we don't have 50 termination in the first month that we can't turn them all, right? So we try to balance that out and figure out, okay, how long it's going to take to do every turn? What are the rents going to be after we turn them? How long is it going to take to lease it up? So create a plan that we can implement over the next couple of years that's going to get us to that goal, right? So we obviously, we start with that because then we can also plan what our income is going to be month over month based upon those turns, based upon those those vacancies we have, you know, and we really manage against that in a, in a value add project is to get those turns according to that plan, right? And that's how we underwrite our income for the first couple of years. Speak to the, the, you talked about metrics earlier. What metrics should we be tracking? What, what do you look for and, and how often? Yeah, so I mean, again, on some of these bigger projects, we definitely we meet we meet every week and we track, we have like a dashboard we track against you know, our income versus our budget, our expenses versus our budget, our um, you know, vacancy or, or occupancy, um, any kind of you know where we're at on lease up. And also we track our expenses against our CapEx budget, you know, how much money have we spent on our on our renovations versus a budget there, how many units have returned, have we turned, how many do we still need to turn and so forth. So those are, those are some of the key things, right? You know, how many units are down versus ready to be leased. So, you know, there's a whole long list, but you know, what's our, and sometimes we also have to be careful, don't have just measurements for the, for the heck of it, have them in measurements that are valuable for your, for making decisions based. That's a good point. I think you just mentioned, yeah, good metrics that help you make good decisions. Talk about even the, how do you get those metrics? You know, do you have access to say a property management software where you gather those things? Is that through a phone call with the management company? Is that, you know, you're going in the office and pulling those things yourself? What does that look like? Yeah, we've actually introduced, we use, we love Google, Google Docs, Google Sheets and all those things. So we actually, the way we created, we created a Google form. So every week the property manager goes in and fills in the Google form and says, okay, week ending this date, here's our income, here's our delinquency, here is our our leads, our leases, our occupancy and everything else. And just plug it into a, to a quick sheet. It populates a Google spreadsheet that we have, and then we create graphs and, and, and trends against that. Because, you know, every, if we work with five different property managers, they may have five different types of software, right? And that way we can consolidate it and put it into one dashboard versus having to export their reports and plug it in manually. That's something we've implemented over the last six or eight months, and it seems to be working quite well. So we have nice graphs, and for those more visual people, they can just see where we're trending up or trending down against our budget. Yeah, so they just complete the same form every week then. 
it just keeps putting that same information on the same sheet in a row, right? I think that's really smart, actually. I, I mean, because that, yeah, and you can see it all in one place. And like you said, you can have it all automated. So it does, it just completes those graphs as soon as they put the information in there. That's right. That's where the IT career comes in handy. Yeah, that that is very handy. What about your, you know, you notice a, maybe a trend on that graph uh, that's not going the way you're, you're, you're hoping. How do you communicate that to the property management company? How much do you normally push them? Yeah, I mean, so we do meet weekly, right? And and it's always hard to get people to do stuff if if they are not motivated in the right way. So obviously, you know, we have we have the the benefit that a couple of deals, one of our partners is also our property manager. So it, it helps align those those incentives. But I think really the the best way is to ask the property manager said, okay, so we got 10 vacancies. We really should be down to five in two weeks. Is that reasonable? Get them to buy into that solution or that outcome and said, okay, what is it going to take? Them telling you what is it going to take to get there. So we're not forcing stuff on them that they can't do. Said, okay, you can release those five units in the next two weeks. Perfect. Let's see how that goes, right? So we actually create accountability against things that they commit to doing versus just telling, well, you have to get them leads. Well, whatever problem they may have is middle of winter, nobody's leasing apartments and so forth. So getting a buy-in there, I think is really important. And then create and said, okay, this is what we agreed on. Hold them accountable to that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, and it is the consistent communication uh, and yeah, and having those conversations. Uh, I think, like you said, too, I think it's so important even having that vision and plan for them. So they know ahead of time, right? You're not having a hard, having a hard conversation later because they didn't do something you didn't even talk about. Uh, and so what about, you know, when you all are looking at these projects, speak to just how you all are prepared for a downturn. That's a great question, right? I mean, we obviously come in with uh, good capital reserves up front. So we have money in the bank to pay, you know, in case of occupancy drops come in with that. You know, we try to get long-term fixed debt on there. So we're not surprised by any crazy changes in interest rates and so forth. I mean, I will say we are doing a couple of deals that have Brits loans on there. Of course, that comes in and takes another level of risk. But then we also can see the tremendous amount of upside there, right? And then we stress test our deals when we do the underwrite and make sure, okay, can't get there. Can we still service the debt and so forth? Those things, making sure that we're not saying that cap rates are going to continue to to compress because at some point you would assume they they won't. Sure. You know, we're in markets that are, you know, we're not in crazy markets where the, the swings are, you know, from the bottom to the top of really high. They're more linear, but it's also, I feel, it creates a little bit of an insulation from those those risks that you may take in, in more cyclical markets as well. What about, do you have any predictions just for the real estate market in the next six to 12 months? Not that any of us know exactly what's going to happen, but maybe you all are, you know, are planning to buy or planning to sell or or, you know, based off what you believe is, is going to happen? We're definitely still in acquisition mode in some of the markets we're in because we see opportunities. Older owners coming, you know, starting selling their older portfolios that need significant amount of CapEx that we're um, really focusing on. And we are still, you know, I mean, there's still a tremendous lack of affordable housing in this country. So we go in and do that, you know, you know, C plus B minus type properties. And as we've all seen, rents have gone up tremendously and there's just really 
really, I think a lot of property managers haven't even been keeping up with that demand and that fact. So we're really trying to capitalize on that and, and, and keep pushing forward. I'm still very optimistic about it. I think the one challenge is ri- potentially rising interest rates, but also I don't know how far rates can go before the government and everybody else will be in too much trouble, can't raise rents any further. What's your best source for uh, meeting new investors right now? I host my own meetup here and where I live in Santa Fe. So that's one way I've met some investors. I go, we actually, we're putting on a conference actually this coming weekend in Denver. So that's a new way to uh, potentially meet some people, you know, um, I will say I'm not the guy who does most amount of promotion for, for investors because we have friends that do some of that, you know, referrals, and I have a lot of repeat investors as well. So some of those ways I've been successful. in. I don't think I knew you were doing conferences uh, as well. That's awesome. Uh, speak to, you know, especially you being a coach and helping others now as well. Uh, speak to you, some daily habits that you're disciplined about that have helped you achieve this level of success. I get up at 5 a.m. and I spend, you know, first 20, 30 minutes doing yoga, some other exercises in my, you know, in my house. And then I spend another 20, 30 minutes, writing my journal, planning out my day. And I think that's probably the biggest change that I've implemented in the last six months is having an actual paper paper planner or writing out hour by hour, what am I going to work on? So I don't let other people's agenda take over. I don't let small issues consume my whole day, try to work on those big things first. So those are so key to me. So that's usually an hour, an hour and a half before I start to kind of go to work, read for a while, you know, read whatever I'm doing, and then and then jump into it. You know, just having those things, plan your day first, set the agenda for your day. I think that's one of the key things that I worked on for, for years to really take control of your day. I think it's, it's another one of those things that we we hear numerous successful people do, but often we don't do it ourselves. Need that coach, need somebody that's speaking into us to, and holding us accountable. What about if you had to pick one thing that's contributed to your success, what would that be? Having partners that are on the same path as you are, that you that can support you, that can challenge you that you can grow with that you like being around i initially had limiting belief around partners but now i'm like i don't wouldn't do a deal without somebody else right definitely a mindset shift uh, what about uh, how do you like to give back yeah i think you know the the coaching you know that's that's a key thing for me because that helped people grow i love running my meetup that's so much fun to give back that way you know as i mentioned there's a well by the time this podcast airs the conference will be over but really like adding like we call it the give it forward or the pay forward conference because we want to help the next generation of investors find success. That's a key thing. So really all about that community. I'm so passionate about. Awesome. Jens, always a pleasure catching up with you. Great to have you back on the show and just hear more about your success and how you've done that, right? And helping us uh, motivate us really, you know, and thinking through what you've done. Are, are we taking some of those same same crucial steps or not? Uh, and at least telling us what those were. Uh, but just and even leaving your your position after 25 years, I think for most, it's uh, once you have the opportunity, it's hard to actually, it, it looks good, right? But then once the option is there, it's hard to take that leap. Uh, and so uh, thankful you did and encouraging all of us as well. Uh, but the I mean, the vision, uh, revisiting it uh, annually, and is it something that pulls you in? Uh, but then even to the asset management tips and, and the roles and having the clear plan and the metrics and the communication with property management, all those things, uh, very helpful today. Grateful uh, for your time. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, thanks, Whitney. So my people can go to my website, which is opendoors with an S capital.com, opendoorscapital.com. And they can send an email to Jens, J- 
J-E-N-S at opendoorscapital.com. And I'd love to get on a, my offer to your listener is uh, anybody wants to jump on a free call, just send me an email and we can get on a, get on a call and just chat about whatever they got going on in their life. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.